0: Hey guys, my name is Adam Griffin. I'm the lead pastor here at Eastside Community Church. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. If you brought a Bible with you, you can turn in it to Psalm 62. All summer long, we're going through the Psalms today. Psalm 62, I wanna talk about noise and I wanna talk about refuge and I wanna talk about silence. Psalm 62. A couple years ago, I was a public school teacher and I was teaching English, freshman English. I only had one year of it, not because I despised it, not because I, I wanted out of it, because the Lord called me back into church work, but I had one year of teaching freshman English at a church in Carroll, or a school in Carrollton. And uh, one day I was in my off period sitting at my computer and uh, just doing emails. My computer was on a desk right next to a window, and I was cranking out emails, you know, like like teachers do. I definitely wasn't looking at Facebook or something. I was definitely on email. And so... Uh, while I was sitting there, there was kind of a loud banging noise outside the window. Like not right outside the window, but kind of outside the window. But I just kind of was like, "Oh, that was loud." And then just kept going. I didn't didn't look. Just kind of kept going. Well, a couple minutes later, a fire trucks started pulling in the parking lot, and police cars. I heard sirens, and so I looked out my window and. I, I swear to you, like not more than 50 yards away from my window was the tail end of a small airplane that had crashed outside the school. And it was, it was alarming. And I, it, a couple minutes had gone by between the loud noise and the sirens. And besides being just kind of jarred out of the reality that like, I'm getting ready to teach a class, but somebody has just crashed in a plane and somebody's surely injured or maybe has lost their life. I couldn't believe that hearing a loud noise right out there, I didn't even turn and look. I didn't even look out the window. I just kept going at my computer. And honestly, I felt that kind of maybe you've had this. There's kind of a survivor's guilt almost or like a, a weird guilt that says, I could have done something. Like I, I didn't call 911. I didn't run out there. I didn't look. A small plane crashed so close to me tail sticking straight up out of the ground. I'd never seen anything like it. And I just kind of ignored it until the sirens came. And I did a lot of soul searching afterwards, just like, man, that was a bizarre experience. How could that happen? And honestly, I know why it happens. It's because I'm so used to loud noises and I'm so used to noise that I can drown it out or I can ignore it or I can not look at it and just keep going about my life. I just, I hear loud noises all the time. Honestly, I, looking back, I thought maybe somebody had thrown something in a dumpster and it made a loud bang. I just thought, oh, that's probably what it was. But it was somebody's life. Not that I could have stopped the crash, but I could have maybe helped. But I certainly could have paid attention. The reason I share that, I want to talk about Psalm 62 this morning, and Psalm 62 is a call to the people of God to trust in Him enough that it's okay to remove ourselves from the noise, to to pay attention to Him and to see what's going on, and to, to remove from us distractions. I I think sometimes we're so used to being inundated with information and noise that it's hard. We have to fight for a moment of focus. We have to fight for a moment of concentration. And so Psalm 62 is a reminder not only of why we would do that, but but how we can do that. So Psalm 62, it's a Psalm of David. I'll read it to you. We'll go through it a little bit. It says this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So this first stanza is kind of an introduction stanza, and it sets up the whole rest of the psalm. In fact, much of it is going to be repeated here in a second. This soul waits in silence. He has several words for God. Salvation, rock, and fortress And remember, this is written at a time where it was really important or really crucial to be in a fortress because there were raids, there were attacks, there were thefts, and being inside a fortress and being a refuge was a very physical thing. This was not just a metaphor. This is not just a a word picture. This is David speaking at a time when it was really good to live inside a fortress. And if you didn't live inside a fortress, there was a constant fear that everything that you possessed could be taken from you. And so David's not here saying how great it is to be in a literal fortress. He's saying how great it is that God is his fortress. Verse 3 starts the second stanza. And in this, it's directed to his enemies. So it's going to, different parts of the psalm are directed to different people. Here he says to his enemies, how long will you attack a man to batter him? like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. He says he's like, he's like a wall that's almost all the way pushed over, and, and you just can't help but just keep hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hoping it's going to fall over soon. It's, it's that picture of like a bruised reed or something that's already hurt or already weakened, and he's calling out to his hypocritical enemies... Why would you do this? How long will you keep doing this? You see where I'm weak and you keep attacking me there. Verse four, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood and they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. They take pleasure in falsehood, which is a a good description for a lot of what we struggle with still today, which is that there's a great love for those things that we in the church would call deceptions, those things that we in the church would say false. There's people that would hold tight to them and say, no, true and lovely, we would say uh, false and dangerous. It says they take pleasure in falsehood. Verse 5 says, For God alone, he says this to himself, for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Again, he's saying the reason I'm not worried, the reason I'm not anxious, the reason I'm not afraid is not because of where I live or what I have. It's because of who my God is. And then he says this in verse 8, he starts to talk to the community of faith. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Then he says something really interesting. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In other words, what he's saying there is if if you're poor, your life is temporary, but if you're rich, guess what? Your life is temporary. He's saying, "God is my refuge." And it doesn't matter, people, if you have nothing in the bank or you think you have nothing to worry about because you're loaded. It does not matter. You will all one day die. He's like, your life is temporary. In the balances they go up, That's, that's both rich and poor, they are together lighter than a breath. And he's not necessarily talking about just who we would call rich and those who we call poor. This is a biblical idea where you take a hyperbole of two extremes to talk about everybody in between. He's saying all people, no matter how much you have together, you're but a breath. Verse 10, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increased, set your heart not on them. If riches increase, set not your heart on them, which right there, this is, of all the parts of this psalm, this probably speaks most directly and most fluently to the American heart when we talk about refuge, strength, rock, where I feel secure. He says, hey, if your riches increase, don't put your heart on them. Things disappear, things get spent, things get broken, things, man, your, your wealth is not your hope. This is why the word in this psalm that's so important is the word only and the word alone. He says the Lord only is my refuge. He's not, I'm so glad I've got this in the bank, but you know what? If that falls, at least I've still got God. He's not, you know what? I'm really good looking, but you know what? As I get older, at least I've still got God. He's not saying at least I've got this and then if I have to fall back, I've got God. He's saying God alone is my refuge. So if your riches increase set not your heart on them. If your Bible has cross references it might cross reference here Luke chapter 12. And Luke chapter 12 is the story of the rich man who sees he's making so much, he doesn't know what to do with it all. And so he builds himself just bigger storage facilities to keep all his stuff and he just keeps it for himself and he just builds and builds and builds and there's a there's a God response to that in the parable where God says to the man you fool This very night, your life will be taken from you and then who will get all your stuff? And the point of Jesus's parable was to say, man, stuff cannot save you. It does not matter how much kale you eat or how many miles you do on the treadmill, you'll die. It's coming for all of us. Some of us sooner than others. So what is, is this like a grim, Ugly, like, hey, guys, guess what? We're all going to die sermon. Is this the, hey, guys, everything's sad uh, psalm? Or is this the reality check, he says, so that you would realize that you have put your trust not only in God, but rather in many things, but his preference, his, his call, his, his pleading with the congregation is that you would only trust God as your refuge only him. Verse 11, now speaking to God, he says, once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, which is a way of saying, I hear this over and over and over again. From who? From, From God. That power belongs to God. The power belongs to God. The inference there is like, it's not mine. I cannot control things. I cannot prevent myself from losing the things I love. The people I love, I cannot keep them forever. The stuff that I have, it will not save me. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. How much of our lives is spent wishing that we could control our circumstances and the anxiety that comes from realizing we don't? Every time my wife and children are driving a long distance in a different car, I feel this truth. So my gosh, I just hope, hope nothing bad happens on the road. I hope they're, I hope they're safe. I hope they make it there. Every time I'm in an airplane and I'm entrusting the pilot, I think about this concept: power belongs to God. I have no power right now over my circumstances. I cannot control it. I, it feels like I can, and there are so many things we do in this life where we try to lay hold of stuff. But he says, how many times has God reminded me? God alone has the power. Verse 12, the last verse in this Psalm says, That you, O Lord, that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. That word steadfast means like it's not easily shaken. It means loyal. It means that, that love's not going anywhere. This is the way God feels about you. So the first idea in this in this last stanza is that God alone has power. And what's so great about our God is he loves you and it's an unrelenting love. He, he will not stop loving you. You can almost hear David building this argument and concluding it going like, why, why do you keep putting your trust in anything else? Everything else will fail you. Riches are gonna fail you. Your, your life is going to end. Why are we putting our trust in other things? God alone has the power and God alone steadfastly, loyally loves you. And he says this to God, for you will render to a man according to his work, which is not a statement of, of karma saying like, if you're good, you get good. If you're bad, you get bad. It's just entrusting to God justice. Entrusting to God, just, just, God is just. There is just punishment for sin. And the good news for the Christian is that Christ has taken that punishment for us. But the truth does not change. It will always remain the same. Those who trust in Christ have nothing to be anxious about. Those who trust in Christ have nothing to worry about. You know what? Because we, not because we are in better control, not because we're better off, we're better people, not because in comparison we're doing better than others. It's because the God we know loves us steadfastly. It's because the God we know has power. And so in Him and Him only can we find refuge. Can we find trust? I don't know what's the least safe you've ever felt. Maybe it's been a moment of vulnerability physically or emotionally. Some of us in this room have been through incredibly traumatic pasts. Some of us have been to war. Some of us in this room have battled diagnoses that have been really difficult, diagnoses. However you say it, I don't care. Some of us battle grammar, you know? (laughs) Some of us have had bad accidents where we've suffered significantly, And it's hard in those moments to believe this psalm, that my soul takes refuge in God alone, that I can trust him regardless of my circumstances, that that he's powerful and I can trust him. No, it feels like rather what I should be doing is trying to get a grip, trying to keep what I want and get what I don't have yet that I want. That's what it feels like is the point of life. So how can this Psalm, the Psalm that speaks so eloquently to the American heart, how can I possibly believe this? I know how vulnerable I am. Trust me, if there's anything that I struggle with on a regular basis, it's insecurity. It's the belief that like, one, God has called me to something that I didn't want to do, which is speaking in front of groups of people every week where I put my heart out there and then everybody kind of gets up and walks out at the end. And I'm going, oh gosh, I hope, I hope I do a better job next week. I hope, and I make things like this about me. Why? Because I live in constant insecurity. Because I think if I could just do a good job, then I could feel secure. Then I could feel safe if i could just find friends and 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 you maybe could find romance where you could find love you could just find something that was steadfast then you could feel good about yourself i can remember being single just thinking if i could just find the right woman then then my life would be better or in my first job thinking if i could just get that promotion then then i could be secure or if you're looking down the pipe of your Student debt going, if I could just pay this off, then, then, then we'll be able to do so. Then things will get better. Instead of going, hey, you know what? God is my refuge today. This is not a call to Christian inactivity saying like, hey, don't do anything. Just sit, man, let's just sit on our couches because God's our refuge. Now we are going to be active. We are going to get to work. We are going to pursue good things. But it's also a reminder that there is a certain holy inactivity that the Lord calls us to. And that holy inactivity is being reminded that many of the disciplines and the work the Lord has called us to have their foundation in silence and trust. Not in your strength and your wisdom, but in your willingness to trust his. That's why the very beginning of the Psalm, and I love this, he says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He said, I don't even, I don't even need to say anything. God's got me. I don't need to do anything. God's got me. My soul waits in silence. He says it again in verse five. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. He says it to himself. At the beginning, my soul waits in silence. In the middle, my soul, wait. Just wait in silence. Because your hope is from him. And I want to talk for just a minute about silence as a practice for Christians. Part of the reason I am going to talk about this is because our generation, more than any other generation, has to fight for silence. Some of us are so uncomfortable with not having background noise, with not having a TV on or a radio on or not having people around. Some of us get really uncomfortable with silence. Some of us, the introverts in maybe the room crave it. And you're thinking, gosh, finally, finally a sermon. where We are commended to leave other people alone. This is going to be so good. Finally, let's go. Don't invite me. Let's just invite each other to stay on our own. Everybody, Let's just do 20 minutes of uninterrupted eye contact for today's sermon. Let's just do that. <laughs> the call to silence in the Bible, I think is a beautiful thing. It's in some ways kind of that mystical thing, that kind of retreat for the soul where if I could just turn this off, this phone, and I could just get away from my email, and I could just get away from TV for a while. There's something romantic about that, right? It's romantic because it seems so rare for some of us. Many you guys have jobs that you might get fired from if you turn your phone off or if you didn't answer email immediately. And so it feels like you're always under pressure to be available and to be alert. But what a comfort that God alone is our refuge. And so I can sit in silence. I wanna talk about silence here more specifically, but first I wanna read you a quote from a really good book. If you haven't read it, it's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. And he says this about silence and solitude. He says, the discipline of silence is the voluntary and temporary abstinence from speaking so that, certain spiritual goals might be sought. Sometimes silence is observed in order to read the Bible, meditate on scripture, pray, journal, so on. Though there is no outward speaking, there may be intentional biblical self-talk or prayer to God. At other times, you might choose not to talk at all, but simply to focus your mind upon God and to set your mind on things that are above. That's Colossians 3.2. Resting your soul in love he displayed through Christ. Then he says also about solitude, which is connected. He says, solitude is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. The purpose of solitude may last only a few minutes or for days. As with silence, solitude may be sought in order to participate without interruption in other spiritual disciplines or just to be alone with God and think. And this is what we have such a hard time embracing. It doesn't feel fair to have alone time. It doesn't feel fair. Why? I've got kids. I've got responsibilities. It doesn't feel fair to have silence. There's too much to do. There's too much out there. It feels like I'm not doing my duty if I'm just being silent. But one of the reasons that silence is important to the Christian is because we saw Jesus living it out. Do you think Jesus was an unbusy man in his ministry? He couldn't enter a village without being inundated with people. It describes some of his ministry days as so busy they did not have time to eat. And he was just surrounded. It describes houses he was in as so crowded people dug through the roof to get to him. The man had things to do. And wasn't there even more work? I mean, he could have gone to more cities, gone to more countries. Wasn't there more work Jesus could have done? And wasn't his work in many ways exponentially greater than anything we'd expect from ourselves? And yet, what did we see him do on a regular basis? He would withdraw into what the Bible would call desolate places, that's places by himself for prayer. And if we see Christ do it, how much more so for us it's not just something we saw him do. It's, it's something we saw him do with his disciples. There's a time where their life was so busy and they were so excited. They were like, man, demons are being cast out. People are being healed. They're pumped about the work and the work is great. And Jesus said to them, hey, let's pull away together to a desolate place. Let's be on our own. There was a time too where one of his best friends, John the Baptist gets killed, gets beheaded. And it's the end of a really long day for Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He gets into a boat by himself and tries to go away somewhere alone. If it's okay for Jesus, can it maybe be a discipline that we need to put some thought into? Put some time into? So, one, we we saw Jesus do it. But it's a discipline. It's hard. I'll tell you, when I was in high school, when I was a senior in high school and then when I was a freshman in college, I had vocal cord surgery. So once as a senior in high school, once as a freshman in college. And um, man, I'm sorry, my voice used to be incredible. You guys would have just been blown away, but you know, surgery twice, whatever. Uh, but for recovery from my vocal cord surgery, I was not allowed to talk. The first time as a senior in high school, during the school year, I was not allowed to talk for one week, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I carried around a clipboard, and on the back of the clipboard, I had common phrases, and on the front, I had just room to write things. So on the back, I'd say like, how are you doing? Does anybody know where the bathroom is? Will you go to prom with me? Stuff like that. that you would like... <laughs> Say on a regular basis as a high school kid, you know, all sorts of funny stuff my friends would write in there and I would just point at things and feel very foolish, but it was hard not to speak. And then because I was young and foolish, I didn't take good care of my voice. I had to have surgery again a year later. And so this time they're like, Hey, two weeks, no talking as a freshman in college. And if you had known me in college, it, honestly, praise God, you didn't know me in college. You wouldn't want me to be your pastor. But if you had known me in college, you would have known that not talking for two weeks was a really, really hard task. And so i Man, I went to work, I went to class, I lived in a dorm, I participated in intramural sports. That had to be the hardest part of it, honestly, was intramural sports without talking. I mean, you don't realize how much you want to yell at people uh, until you play intramural sports and don't allow yourself to speak. It is a discipline, okay? I mean, I was furious with no way to vent. I mean, you can't write fast enough to be like, why didn't you run that way? And then there's just no way around it. Or that ref is not good at his job. You know, like, there's just no way around it. But it's a hard discipline. We're so used to being able to communicate whenever we want. And so it was hard to go, I'm not going to say anything. So being silent for long periods of time in public, that's hard. I'm not asking us to say, hey, let's, let's tape our mouths shut, Christians. Absolutely not. But I am saying, I want you to feel not only permission, but the impetus to say, where am I finding silence in my life? Where am I intentionally saying, you know what? On this drive to work, I'm going to turn the radio off. And let me say it like this. You could probably finish the sentence. You hear this so often. I do my best thinking in the shower. People say that all the time, right? I do my best thinking in the shower. Why do you think that is? It's like the one time in your week where you don't have a screen in front of your face and a bunch of people around you, I hope. You know, you're on your own. And so you do your best thinking in the shower. Yeah, it's your only thinking. What if, what if we took some other time on our week and just said, I'm going to dedicate this. I'm going to set it aside. Where, like I saw my Savior do, I'm going to pull away. I'm going to turn things off. I'm unavailable for a few minutes. The phone is for my convenience, not for theirs. I'm turning it off. And I'm just going to give my heart to remembering the Lord is my refuge, not the wealth I'm trying to accumulate. Not the control over my situation I'm trying to hold on to so tightly. I just want some silence. And why do we pursue silence? It's because silence is the context for the rest of our spiritual disciplines. Have you ever tried to be really faithful at reading the Bible but not getting alone and being silent? It's impossible. You need to give yourself some space, people. Have you ever tried to have a dedicated prayer life? but not get silent. You can't. So giving yourself permission to say, today when I go for a run, or today while I'm brushing my teeth, or today I'm gonna get up early or stay up late, or this afternoon when, I, when everybody else goes to their cigarette break, I'm gonna go to a prayer break. Like I am going to spend some time just taking a breath, just getting in the word, just meditating on something the Lord has said and we have to fight for it. There's so much that wants your attention. So many people who want your pocketbook, so many little ones in your homes that are desperate for every minute of your life, but what if you set an example as a parent of what a priority it is for you to have time with your savior? What if, and I know your kids are not gonna be like, okay, mom, I get it, but what if you said, hey, Dad needs 20 minutes. You play something, dad's going to spend some time in silence working through something God has said. What a powerful example for our kids. As opposed to us just, well, let me say it like this. The other day, one of my sons, I won't bust him out, but he said, I don't believe adults really sleep. He said, I think they just look at their phones all the time. Which I assume means when he comes in in the morning, he has seen me just like on my phone, laying in bed. Like I haven't even gotten up yet. And I'm checking what happened in the news, what happened while I was asleep, what happened on social media, what emails have I received while I'm asleep. that's That's my life. It's many of your lives. Like we, we just instantly, as soon as I'm up, I'm reconnecting. What if, what if the connection our body and our soul and our mind actually needs is already available to you in Christ? And it's a higher priority to us than what's happened globally and what the news is trying to tell you about it what if what if we were more disciplined it's also really good for us to gain perspective on our pace that if you take some time to be quiet you gain the perspective on the times that are noisier when you take the time to take a deep breath you have some energy for the moments that are hard You'll notice that uh, when David talks about silence, he's talking about the refuge that we have in God. He's painting a picture where he's under attack. Sometimes we say, uh, I will take some time. I will take a break once everything is settled. Once all my uh, stuff is managed, once all my emails are answered and once all the phone calls are returned and once uh, my, my crises are handled, then I will be able to take a break. That's not what you read in this psalm. Psalm is saying, in order to handle the fact that I'm under constant attack, I'm gonna first get silent before my God. I will answer the emails. I will answer the phone calls. I will, I will address the crises, but first I need a breath. First, I need to take a minute. I need to be in solitude. I need silence. It's okay to ask and pursue that. And then lastly, why, why we pursue silence is it's to pay attention to God. I shared at the beginning, something huge happened right outside my window I didn't even notice. Sometimes I wonder how loud would God have to be before he's the loudest voice in my life? I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that give advice. I get it. And there's a lot of people in my life that I want advice from, thankful for it. I'm probably the loudest voice in my life. I'm constantly hammering at myself about something, saying this wasn't good enough or isn't this exciting. I mean, there's just this loud voice in my mind. But what would it take for the Lord's voice to be the loudest? It's going to take some diligent silence, taking a step back. Now, how could we do this? I mean, there's a million ways how. I don't know your routine. I don't know your special times. I don't, I don't know uh, what your schedule looks like. I'm telling you, though, that spending time with God should be at the top of your priority list, not the thing on the shelf in case you need it. But I feel like so often when we talk about God as our refuge, what we mean is, uh, if we were being honest, I have all these things that I rely on and I build my life on, my success at work, or my opinion in the eyes of others, my physical attractiveness or my exercise routine. This is where our true refuge is. And then we have God on the shelf in case things really go to pot. When what we read in Psalm 62 is that God alone is our refuge. He's the only one with true power. and He's the only one who steadfastly loves. All these other things, there can be a lot of good things in our life. We don't need to quit everything. Christian inactivity is not for always for all time. Listen, we are to be active. We are to pursue and to work and to wear ourselves out for the sake of the gospel and to Sabbath well and to rest and to lean into the Lord and to build silence into our life. Luke chapter 12 I referenced earlier. It's the parable of the rich man who stored all the stuff and then passed away. And what Jesus talks about right after that in Luke chapter 12 is he says, "Therefore, what do you have to be anxious about? What do you have to be worried about? Now, you would think reading a parable like, "Hey, you could die at any minute." we'd all go like, "Oh no, there's so much to be worried about, but Christ does that parable and goes, "So don't worry. So don't worry. Who's going to get your stuff after you die? Don't worry." We're not gonna be anxious. Now we can plan and we can be wise, but being anxious, spending your life trying to arrive at death safely is not a way to live. So what does it look like? Part of it's gonna be being silent with our God. Part of that means changing some of the routines you guys are in. Me too. Shutting some things off avoiding some apps or delaying some responses. And you know what? That's okay. Because God alone is my refuge, not my reputation. God alone is my refuge. That's why I work. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be good at resting in you, of counting on you, of you being our safety. And I pray, God, that where I have been hesitant to trust you and I've trusted in so many other things, you would forgive me and forgive us as a congregation and a I pray that we would lift you up uh, to glorify you and to to worship you with what we do with our lives. And I pray, God, that the other things that are always trying to steal our attention, those things that really aren't good for us, God, protect us from those. And then those good things, Lord, help us keep them in perspective while we chase also a relationship with you. I pray, God, that our church would be well-known and and, uh, could be relied upon as people who trust in you. There's people who are not, like David said, not easily shaken because regardless of circumstances, we have you and you love us steadfastly and you alone have the power. I pray these things would glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.